there! This is the Evolution Sermon Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that our message makes your week a bit more awesome. See you in church! So for today, I'm going to touch on a parable, okay? Have you guys, who's heard of a parable? Good, okay. So the one that I'm going to play on is chapter 20 in Matthew, and I'm going to have it up here in a second, and it's called The Parable of the Workers and the Vineyard. Uh, but before I get to this parable, I think I want to stage, uh, like set the stage a little bit, okay? Okay. Uh, for those of you who were here last week, John Carlos taught a little bit about how to interpret the Bible. Do you guys remember that? Right. So in Luke, Luke kind of stacks three uh, stories on top of each other, and it invites you. John Carlos called it a sandwich, like a theology sandwich, right? So you want to pay attention to the middle part, because that's where, like, the nutrition is, right? So like a bon me, uh, you, <laughs> you got the French baguette, and, like, the stuff that we pay attention to is, like, the bacon pate, the pork, the... No one's laughing. The greens. <laughs> I was just trying to... <laughs> Just trying to find a way to get a bond me into uh, the sermon. Okay, so, uh, you know, seriously, so let's set the, set, set, set the stage. So, uh, we're talking about parables, and parables are a particular kind of speech that can be sometimes confusing. Uh, if any of you have studied math, it comes from the root word parabola, meaning no direct route, right? So when you think of about a parable, what we're, really, what we're really addressing is the fact that it's not an easy answer, Okay. <laughs> Nothing that's being said in a parable is meant to be like, oh, that's the easy conclusion, right? God would be going a little bit too easy on us, okay? So a parable is meant to confront our assumptions, okay? That's number one. Our, our, the song that we just sang, what was it? I want to be undone, right? I, I, I want all of you, God, I want to be undone. Uh, that is exactly what I'm gonna, going to try to do today because this parable has undone me. Parables confront your assumptions, they mess with what you think about the world, and they make you think more critically about how to be a better lover in your area. Amen? Okay, so uh, I I made a couple points, and uh, I'm going to set the stage, but I think first we're going to read Matthew 21 through 16. So the first point that I'm going to make is that we need to know what a parable is. And then the second point will be uh, whatever the context is that this parable is sitting in. We need to be paying attention to it, yeah? Okay. Uh, so to start out, very systematically, we'll read the parable, and we'll talk about the parable, uh, and then some, some lessons and context, all of that. So the agenda for the day, and I've titled the sermon, OMG, y'all. God's grace is crazy, so much so God can seem beautifully unfair sometimes. Thank God that grace exceeds our expectations. Isn't God the best? Yes. Isn't Jesus the realist? Yes. Don't we all want to be better humans by being more like Jesus? Yes. By Pastor Chris. That's a joke. It's called Just Grace. Okay. Okay. Um, So, agenda. Ready? So, meaning. What is a parable? Context. Where is this parable? question, like what's left to answer, application, how might we apply it, and conclusion, what should we leave with? And then pray, dance, jump, celebrate the Holy Spirit, and you'll all be back for ITG, yeah? Okay, good. All right, good. Okay, so Matthew 20, 1 through 16. Uh, This is in a version called the CEB uh, that I'll be reading from. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Then he went out around nine 
After he agreed with the workers to pay them a denarian, he sent them out into his vineyard. Then he went out around nine, three hours later, in the morning and saw others standing around the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. And they went. Again, three hours later, around noon, and then at three, again, in the afternoon, he did the same thing. Two hours later, around five in the afternoon, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you just standing around here doing nothing all day long? Because nobody has hired us, they replied. He responded, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the manager, call the workers and give them their wages beginning with the last ones hired and moving on to finally the first. When those who were hired at five in the afternoon came, each one received a denarian. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarian. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. These who were hired last worked one hour and they received the same pay as we did, even though we had worked the whole day in the hot sun. But he replied to the one of them, friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarian? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give to this one who was hired last the same as I give to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I'm generous? So those who are last will be first and those who are first will be last. Amen. Pray with me, okay? God of all things and of all people, God who created the heavens and the earth, let us see how vast this world is and all the places you're in. Let us see that each human has been given purpose and meaning and that they are human and so they have value. Let us see them as our siblings, as our friends, as our neighbors, and let us hope for them what we hope for ourselves peace, acceptance, and grace. Let us be people who make peace, accept others, and provide an abundance of grace. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, parables are about a third of Jesus's overall speech. This means that basically one in every three things that Jesus says comes in the form of a confusing story. Okay? And those stories can sometimes not always directly answer the question being asked, okay? So Jesus, the one that everyone wants an answer from, this dude who's walking around like doing crazy stuff and saying crazy stuff and being really cool, naturally, people in the land are going like, okay, hey, rabbi, like, tell me the right answer. Uh, What am I supposed to do? Who's in? Who's out? And how does Jesus respond a third of the time? Let me tell you a story, friend. And then it muddies the water, okay? Kind of fun, kind of annoying. Uh, Like, if it's me, it's give me the answer. Like, just give me the answer, right? Like, it's 2019, I'm in the West. Like, give give me the answer, it's about time, okay? Tell me what this means. Tell me who's in, tell me who's out. Tell me the reward I'm gonna get. Also, tell me who's not gonna get that reward so I know in advance, right? And to all of this, Jesus is like, nope, He's like a troll. He's like a divine troll. Like, I'm not going to tell you that answer, listener, okay? I hope, you know, like, I hope I don't get struck by lightning for saying that. (laughs) Okay. So so it's interesting the way Jesus is engaging uh, what we search for in truth. Yeah? Okay. 
So there's obviously no shortage of sermons and statements about parables. Y'all have probably heard them. Some famous ones are like the prodigal son, which you've heard. Another one is uh, the Good Samaritan. Uh, so we've heard these stories before, and they're beautiful, and they shape us, and they change our hearts, and they undo us, as that, as that uh, song said. Um, and so anytime that that happens, um, the, the, the parable is inviting us to engage God and, and reconfigure what we think about truth, to spread out what we think is truth, right? And to not oversimplify, right? Because if one thing that Jesus does consistently with the parables is he doesn't let us oversimplify how to apply love, right? And you're going to do like the bare minimum, right? Like how much of us like go above and beyond? Like we want to know rules so that we can like barely follow them. Like this... <laughs> It's like a human condition, right? Okay, so there are a number of ways that parables address us, okay? So they invite us to interpret them, and there are a number of ways that they can be interpreted. Um, so I'm not talking to y'all who are in the room for the first time, okay? But for you Bible bumpers, for y'all who have been reading the Bible your whole life, right? Do you have the term Bible bumpers in Singapore? Okay, that means like you read it like all the time. Like it's, it's your favorite book, as JC said last, last week in ITJ. What's your favorite book? The Bible. Um, okay, so for those of you who read the Bible a lot, right? Uh, you may already know this, but I'm gonna fill it in, okay? The mo what's consistent about parables after they're spoken? Well, here's what happens. It says the people were confused, the disciples were confused, and then Jesus went off to the side and explained it to the disciples. Right, does that sound a little familiar? Yes. Except that for people like Matthew, writers like Matthew, Matthew then doesn't go, okay, and here, Pastor C, here's the answer. Like, here's what Jesus explained to the disciples. The writer of the Gospels left the interpretation completely out. Again, kind of annoying, kind of fun, okay? <laughs> so, um, one of the most consistent things about parables is that they aren't given a packaged interpretation. They invite us to figure them out together. Okay? So in that sense, the parable is disruptive. Okay? Maybe even a little offensive. Okay? So in that sense, like uh, a minimum disrupted, uh, the disciples end up confused. Uh, so if you're like, oh yeah, Chris, this makes sense a lot. I'm totally comfortable with what... <laughs> I got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, still working on the trade. Um, <laughs> I'm totally comfortable with what this parable is telling me to do, and I'm doing exactly what it's telling me to do. I would invite you, Christian, you probably are misreading it, right? Because the parable is confronting me, it's confronting you, it's inviting us into a deeper love, amen? Yeah. Okay, another thing, parables are often the stories that Jesus gives us when someone is looking for, wait for it, the right answer, okay? So I've had a number of conversations as a pastor about what truth is. Yeah, but what is true? Like, what's the law? Well, if I'm following the Jesus tradition, I should probably tell a story, right? And if I'm following the Jesus tradition, that story should be like a little confusing, right? Because <laughs> life can sometimes be confusing, right? See, here's the th intuition that you all know, like something that you already know, and I think Jesus embodies it, but I think that Christianity can do a bad job of this. Y'all know that life isn't easy to explain, right? Like, you have an idea of what truth is, and then the antithetical idea confronts you in a human being, and suddenly you're like, okay, do I make the point, or do I love the human, right? And I would venture to say that you guys choose the human, right? Most of us do, right? 
And that is the kingdom of God, and that is the purpose of a parable. So Jesus doesn't ever simplify who's in and who's out. In fact, he says some radical stuff about who's in, stuff that we wouldn't even, you know, be totally comfortable in the church. So just for, uh, give us a one-liner. Jesus uh, doesn't make it easy on us when it comes to parables, okay? Again, I say, Jesus prefers a good story. I think that the Son of God is inviting us into a greater imagination. So through storytelling, suddenly we're not connected to the truth, but we're connected to human beings, okay? So again, that's how life works. So uh, if I wanna rule this person out, well, suddenly, usually what God will do, we'll put that person in our midst. Do you remember what JC taught us last Sunday? That, uh, That Cornelius was someone who Peter wouldn't associate with? Right? Peter had the truth. Peter knew how to interpret uh, his scriptures. And then God said, nope, you're going to meet Cornelius. It's going to totally throw you off, and you're going to adjust your idea of love. Right? And the church explodes. Right? Okay. So follow that. The point number two, then. Parables force us to love more, accept all, and act more graceful with our neighbors. Okay? Okay. I think Jesus is onto something when he dedicates, you know, a large portion of his talk uh, telling stories about people to answer questions. So when these parables are told, they're meant to expand our idea of love, uh, widen our imagination of God's inclusion, and compel us towards being more graceful. Okay, so that's point number two. Next, and this is one that's kind of fun for me. Often the Bible says that someone uh, asked Jesus a question, right? and then, um, then doesn't get the answer, right? We already talked about that. And so what does that mean? Okay, it doesn't mean that a parable could be interpreted anyway, right? Like it's not like there's some rules within it, right? Um, but it does, it does mean that there are a couple different ways that we can pay attention to the parable, okay? Like it's almost like a, like a fine wine, like you uncork it and it kind of breathes a little bit. Like it's, it, it gives you more body. I, Maybe you guys don't drink wine, but um, I do. And let me tell you, that's, that's the experience. Uh, it, just, it just opens up, you know, it gives you more life. So, so the point three would be the, the role of Revival Nation and what you're already doing and what Pastor C invites you into is to interpret it together because interpretations vary. Okay, there's not one simple answer. In fact, you'll hear, I, I already know that she's not doing it because she's my spirit animal, but Pastor C, don't give easy answers on parables. I know you already don't. Um, so, so, so it's kind of like poetry, uh, parables are, okay? And when you tell someone's story, when you tell a story about someone who you care about, you know that it's not just, like, you can't describe a person in just a couple sentences. Like, they've got a whole life, right? And so how do you describe the inclusivity of God's love in just a simple one-liner answer of, like, who's in, who's out, what's right, what's wrong, etc.? God's going to open that up. He's going to undo you, right? Okay. So, okay, fourth and final point on parables. Parables are meant to raise resistance in us. Resistance to what, Pastor Chris? I'll tell you. Uh, Resistance that leads to reshaping, okay? Reshaping that leads to renewal. So let me expand on that. Parables build in us a resistance to easy answers. I'm gonna just drive that home the whole time. Parables invite us to resist the urge to sum the world up by skin color, by gender, by ethnicity, uh, by race, by economic status, 
by their merits here in Singapore, what school they went to, what job they have, by their salaries, right? We, it invites the complexity of life, okay? Okay, so parables invite a posture of resistance to the way the world likes to categorize all of us, okay? So we resist those urges to sum someone up. We refuse to sum somebody up based on what we see, and we dig deeper, okay? Okay, so, so uh, I gave some examples, and these are pr maybe particular to the West, maybe particular to New York, but um, meritocracy, uh, patriarchy, uh, another big word, heteronormativity, which is just a big word that means a system that excludes gay people and prefers straight people, right? Okay, racism, a system that prefers fairer skin in the West. Okay, so a parable invites us to resist these things. Why? So that our heart is reshaped and resized and reconfigured to align with God's heart, okay? Rather than the systems we're currently stuck in. Okay. So ultimately, that reshaping, it renews us to be better lovers, better friends, better neighbors, better coworkers, better students, better parents, better children. And then that reshaping renews us and the world around us. Okay, so resistance, reshape, renew, okay? So that others might benefit from the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Because yeah. like if we're not good for the world, then what are we doing with our faith, right? Like if we're just trying to prove people wrong, like do you know people like that? They're, the, they're, they're not great people. They're the sort of people that in a systematics class, Charmaine and I will be a little frustrated about. So, so, so a parable disrupts the idea of an easy answer, okay? It makes us more loving of others, accepting of the unknown, so willing to engage mystery, right? And filled with grace. Okay. That's because we should be listening to the disruption that the Holy Spirit gives us so that we can be more loving and accepting and graceful because interpretations vary, so we do it as a group, and the interpretation allows us to resist, reshape, and renew. Make sense? Okay. Uh, context of this parable. So we covered what a parable is, yeah? We just did that, four, four points I gave you. Um, what is this parable's context? Okay, so here's what's going on around this parable. I think explaining what comes before it will help shape what it's saying, right? We'll give it some breath. So we're in Matthew 20 for this parable, but in Matthew 19, some fun things just happen. So a rich man rolls up to Jesus, and that rich man's like, hey, uh, I'm doing all the right things. Like, I'm following all the right laws. Uh, I give an abundance of income away. Like, am I good? And Jesus goes, for you, man, uh, you need to sell all your possessions uh, to know what I'm talking about. Sell all your possessions, not just sell them. Give them to the poor, then follow me, and then you'll know who I am, right? Can you imagine being there for that scene? I'd, I would, like, just dip out of, like, stage left. I'd be like, I don't know. Wait, that's the rule? Like, let me get out of here. Uh, stressful. Okay. So the, 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 the man walks away um, discouraged. Like, that's a high bar for Jesus to set. Uh, and I can relate to that discouragement. Like, I, in a, seriously, like, put seriously, like, I would stress if Jesus came right here and said, sell all your things, Chris, give to the poor, and come follow me. Like, at a minimum, I'd think about it, right? Like, I'd pause. Okay. So Jesus says that in Matthew 19. Immediately following the apostles, and I just like fun, it's fun to like be in the scene. The apostles are like, uh, what? Like, th that's, that's the rule? Because we've been following you and like we're expecting some bomb reward, right? Like, 
I wanna be like a king or like I wanna sit to the left of you. And the apostles are always doing this. They're always arguing throughout the narrative. They're always arguing about like how close they're gonna be to Jesus. Like what land am I gonna rule, right? So what parables do is they confront our narratives, our desires about why we even follow God, right? Um, And it's natural. Like I think the story of the apostles, like it's so much fun that God allows us to read the constant messing up of the apostles. Because if you're honest with yourself, like it's us messing up all the time, right? Like we relate to it. Like if there's a sword to me and someone's like, hey, don't you know that Jesus guy? I'm like, nope, I don't. You know, I'll do it, I'll deny four times. I won't deny. So, 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 so what happens is this rich man comes to Jesus and asks for uh, like the answer. And Jesus says, okay, you want an answer? Sell everything and give to the poor and come follow me. And the, he walks off, kind of ticked. The apostles then go, man, I, I, I didn't like that answer. What's in it for me? And Jesus goes, um, where am I? Uh, oh, what I said is as typical for most humans, the, the apostles have a tendency towards two things, competition and comparison. Do you have a tendency towards competition and comparison? Yeah. yeah, I do too. So always wanting to know their rank, their file, where they're gonna be in the kingdom. And after all, like they've worked hard to follow Jesus. Like they left their fishing you know, uh, work behind. So they want to know, uh, are my merits going to be rewarded accordingly? Jesus never won to not double down on a point. Like Jesus is never like, oh, I get you. Like, you know what? You're right. You're going to sit like two seats to the left. No, Jesus is like, oh, that's your heart. Okay, cool. Let me tell you a story, right? Okay. So, <laughs> so, Je- so Jesus then goes on to tell this story of the parable. So we see two things in the context of this parable leading up. Privilege of the young rich ruler, right? Like Uh, often you're not quick to release privilege. If you were here, whether you're here on Sunday or here on Saturday, JC made the point, like it's it's an inherited privilege to be a man in this world. You can walk around and kind of do what you want, say what you want, act what you want, and the world will reward you. While females are constantly having to like uh, uh, placate, right? And acquiesce and, and sort of negotiate a world that's built for people who look like me. Same goes for white people, same goes for taller people, same goes for more handsome people. Like the way the world works is it, it, it privileges the, what you see on the front end, right? And so JC is saying, men, to be a good male, drop your privilege for non-males, right? That was, that was the lesson. JC, uh, JC, well, actually, yeah, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> this JC, this JC. <laughs> J- JC said, Jesus Christ says to the rich person, um, look, it's gonna cost you something to follow me. Uh, You have a a little bit too much stuff around you that you're comfortable with, and this walk is not about comfort uh, always. It's about a promise, and it's about hope, right? We press on, right? We run a marathon, but it's very hard at times. And then Jesus would go on, I think what's beautiful is Jesus would go on and show us just what the cost was gonna be to him, 
right? And so, I mean, this guy has clout, right, Jesus? He's not just saying, like, sell all your things, because Jesus also doesn't have things. He's saying, sell all your things, and then a couple chapters later, goes to a cross and is humiliated, right? And so Jesus is actually speaking from a position where he gives up his privilege, yeah? Amen? Okay, so we see that in the privilege of the young rich ruler who walks off. Uh, Fun story, fun story, I, I didn't put this in my notes, but some argue that the young rich ruler that was in this story is actually... Luke, right? Is it Luke or, it, it's someone in Acts that, that actually they ended up giving up all that they had and followed Jesus later. Um, yeah, so fun story. At least that's the Christian tradition. It's not in the Bible, but that's what's passed down from the first couple years of the church. Okay, another thing, meritocracy. Uh, y'all know what it's like here in Singapore. I know what it's like in New York. Like you get onto a conveyor belt of doing the right things, you rise, you climb a ladder, and then each time you usually get rewarded, and then if you don't get rewarded, or someone jumps the line, you're like, man, this world's jacked up. (laughs) Right? Right? I do. Like, if I'm honest, like, there are so many times where, like, the world just hands me stuff, and then someone else doesn't work as hard for it. Like, they're not lazy, it's just like, I I feel like I worked really hard, and then they get the promotion, I'm like, unfair, right? And, and, and meritocracy has a way of creating comparison and competition so that you're never satisfied with your lot. Your lot's only as good as your neighbor. And if your neighbor has more, well, then your lot's too short, right? And we often, with meritocracy, look up to see who has more, right? Do we ever look down and go, man, I'm just glad that I have a roof over my head because my friend over here doesn't. No, we're like, ah, my apartment's like, you know, 500 square feet and theirs is a thousand. I'm not making it up, right? That meritocracy has a way of stealing our imagination. So the parable shuts down that, that attempt to imagine upward and points downward. Okay? Okay, so that is the, that is the context of the parable. Okay, so in, this, in the parable itself, we find a rich man with lots of land and lots of wealth and a couple groups of daily workers. We know he's rich because wine isn't a subsistence farming crop like wheat or corn or soy or fig in that time. So we know that he's got those things and more, okay? Uh, So he's got a a, a land of great wealth. He's got excess. He has room. He could be generous as he sees fit. And Jesus says right on the front end, what are those first four words? Say them. And then the next two. Good. The kingdom of heaven is like. When the Son of God says the kingdom of heaven is like, pay attention to the rest of it. Okay? Because you want to be like that too. Right? And you want the place where you're going, where we're going, the place that we're going to be, to be exactly like that. Right? Okay. So like six words in, we're all like, okay, cool. Like Jesus is going to give us the answer. Right? Okay, except... The rest of it kind of messes with, with the listener and messes with me. Okay, so Jesus says that this landowner is like the kingdom of God. He goes out in the morning and hires some daily workers, which would have been typical that in that day. You would have gone out to the market and picked up daily workers. Uh, but there's some foreshadowing in verse 2 because it says Jesus agrees with those laborers for their daily wage that they would go to the vineyard. It doesn't say that in the rest of the parable. So on the front end, Jesus is like, you guys who are working the longest, like, we're, we're cool on the daily wage, right? Yes, we're cool. Okay. A denarian would have been about a week's worth of, uh, of pay for food. It would have got, been enough pay to get you a week's worth of food, okay? So it's generous, right? 
Okay, so later, three hours later, guy goes back out, sees there's others standing idly around. He grabs them, says, go to the vineyard. Same thing at noon, three hours later. Same thing at three, three hours later. Same thing at six, no, 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 at five, two hours later. So the writer is doing a little something there. He's throwing off the rhythm. He or she's throwing off the rhythm purposefully. What's happening at five? Well, that would just be an awkward time to go out and get other workers because it's closing at six, right? But at five, not only does, let me go there too, not only does the landowner go out, but he's like, why are you all standing around, right? And they go, because no one's hired me. And the landowner goes, come, 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 come over, okay? So when evening comes, uh, he calls the manager to give the payout and explicitly instructs the manager to give the last first and the first last. So when those who were hired at five got the same pay as those who showed up first thing in the morning, the ones from the morning, understandably, were like kind of ticked, right? They start grumbling, pointing fingers, look, comparing themselves and competing with the others going, hey, I showed up at 6 a.m. I've been under this hot heat the whole day, right? What do they say? They say, uh, these workers were hired one hour and they received the same pay while I was the whole time in, a hot, in the hot sun, right? The landowner replies very directly, friends, I'm not doing you any wrong. Actually, the Greek translation, I'm, I'm not one to like quote the Greek, but this is where it's, it's interesting. The Greek translation, like the exact translation is, is your eye evil because I am good? So it's like, you know, is this like a pie and there's only a certain amount of pieces and I'm robbing you of a piece? Or did you not show up at 6 a.m. and were happy with the pay until you saw what the people at 5 p.m. got? and you weren't that happy anymore, right? See how easily we get stolen away when we start comparing ourselves to others? Okay. So the landowner says that, continuing, um, and actually the word friend here is like sarcastic. It's like, uh, like there are, when my mom would say Chris, like it would depend on the inflection. If she's like, Chris, hey, how are you? Rather than Chris. <laughs> Did you eat that last piece of pot? You know, something like that. <laughs> Um, you know, there's an inflection. That friend is like a, is like a frustrated, like, hey, man, like, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. Like, you're in the wrong, friend, okay? Did, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarian, okay? Um, so take what belongs to you and go. Am I not allowed with my generosity to do what I want with my lot, okay? Take what you have and go and be satisfied, Sit on that for a second, if you will. Because if I'm honest, that doesn't make me feel comfortable. If I'm the 6 a.m. worker, I'm not rooting for the 5 p.m. worker getting paid the same. I am frustrated. I'm burned, I'm tired, I'm sweaty. I lost my whole day, right? And I'm getting paid the same as this person who showed up for an hour? So. We can agree, we relate to the early workers, right? Yeah. Okay. This is why this is a parable that's not often preached on because it's super subversive and it's been subversive for 2,000 years because every sing single day since it's actually been told, the world has worked against this style of payment. Yeah? yeah? Okay. So, uh, I was sitting on the plane the other day. I find myself traveling a lot for work and, 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 and leisure. And without fail, each time, 
uh, I will show up uh, with a person after person going up to the desk who are on standby, okay? They either mess their flight up, they miss their flight, or something, to, something that doesn't really have to do with me, but they're there late, appealing, right? Waiting for an extra seat. And though it doesn't always upset me, if I'm honest, without fail, sometimes it does, that uh, I'll end up not in a window or a middle seat. I'll be like zone four or five, like just boarding at the last minute, like no place to put my bags. And I'll see that person who came up at the last minute get put in like business class, right? <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, I'm not like, yeah, I want, I want some space. Okay, so, so I, I know what it's like uh, to be frustrated by someone else getting something that I wish I had. Okay, uh, something that will make sense to my personality. I'm the youngest of three. Um, I'm, I am seven years younger than my sister, so I'm basically an only child. Um, and my older siblings, like, accuse me of murder all the time. Like, I, I could do anything, and my mom would not, my mom didn't have much to say. Like, she was done parenting after, like, the second, right? She was like, Chris, do what you want. Like, cut your own life. But my brother, if he did anything wrong, like, you know, you, you first siblings, y'all know. Like, your parents are, is that, is that cultural? To, yeah, the expectation of the first, yeah. Okay. So I wrote, um, yeah. So another one is, uh, no, I'm not going to say that one. Okay. So uh, all, all of these are understandably frustrating, Okay. And they sit on different parts of the spectrum of like premeditation, okay? So as in, I doubt your parents, parents, you can affirm this, before their first child thought, you know what we should do? We should have two children and we should just like ride the first one real hard, like really make them work for it and then just go super easy on the second. It's gonna be great. They're gonna be furious with each other. Like, like <laughs> it doesn't happen that way, right? It's just like the way that sometimes things play out. But in this story actually is different in the parable. See, the landowner willingly, knowingly, explicitly paid the workers the same amount and goes out as far, goes as far to say, pay the last first and the first last, okay? That is stated twice in the parable, so let's not ignore it. More than that, look closely. Did the landowner need the workers at all uh, later in the afternoon? Um, it actually doesn't, where are we? Yeah, here we are. When those who would, yeah. Okay. Hey, uh, why did I go down to the market? Why are you just standing around here doing nothing all, all day long? Because nobody has hired us. He didn't say, oh, great, I need work. We actually don't know if this landowner even needed these workers. And if you're working a 6, p 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. shift or you need people to work it, it's unlikely or you'd be an irresponsible landowner if all of a sudden you realized at 5 p.m. I need more workers. So what the writer is doing here, especially since the writer disrupts the three-hour rhythm, is showing us that these five-hour folk, 5 p.m. folk, were probably a little bit different, okay? They probably weren't needed in the field, and yet this landowner cared about paying them the same, okay? Okay, so um, more than that, was there a need for them? It doesn't say. It doesn't say that the landowner was exacerbated, uh, it just says that he was like, hey, why are you all standing around and then brings them back, okay? So in the spirit of uh, Christian discernment, um, I'm going to spit fire a couple questions at you. 
Uh, we're not gonna be able to answer them today, but what I wanna do with this is invite you to, when you read a text like this, ask a number of questions. Like, don't let the text just answer one question for you, okay? So here are the questions that like rose in my spirit when I read this parable. Does this parable disrupt your idea of fairness? Is it fair that they all got the same wages? Fair, right? Fair. If it's unfair and this landowner represents the kingdom of God, should we say that the kingdom of God is unfair? And if the kingdom of God is unfair in our calculation, then maybe we're the ones that are unfair and the kingdom of God is perfectly fair and graceful. What does this say maybe about the relationship between fairness and grace? Maybe grace is inherently unfair, and maybe that's the point. What relationship does fairness and unfairness have with justice, right? Because I know that for some of you, if you're justice-oriented, you're like, hey, this was an unjust situation. Except, is it really unjust? Didn't the workers in the morning agree to the fair pay? Shouldn't they be satisfied with what they got? They agreed on their wage and they clearly thought it was fair then because they didn't raise any issues about pay. Plus the pay is pretty generous according to scripture, okay? So they only got upset when they learned what the 5 p.m. workers were getting paid. Does that say more about the landowner or does it say more about the worker? Right? Okay. So if this is like the kingdom of God, right? We're gonna, I'm gonna mess with you a little bit more. If it came to your own salvation and you had the easier route, the 5 p.m. route, or the more recent route, would that be enough grounds for you to return your salvation? Would you give it back because you felt bad for the 6 a.m. people? Your salvation. I don't think you would. I wouldn't. I'd happily accept God's grace and salvation at 5 p.m. And I'd wish that my 6 a.m. neighbors would invite me in to their, right? to their celebration. What would you feel as the late worker? Gratitude, shame, humility, joy, awkwardness, all of the above? Again, if it came to your salvation, would it matter? Deeper, Jesus says the landowner's actions are like God, or at least the environment of the kingdom of God. So the landowner pays the newcomers the same as those who were clearly working their tails off all day, so as we humans on earth are supposed to be God-like and execute the will of God for the kingdom of God, what might this parable have to say about our treatment of migrant workers amongst us? What might this parable say about meritocracy where it's a system literally built for rewarding you for your hard work and your bigger brain? Do you see meritocracy in this parable? There's an answer there, it's no, yeah. <laughs> Uh, meritocracy is all about comparison. Your value is compared to another's, and if you test better, work harder, think deeper, the system accelerates your position. But does it sound like that system is playing out in this parable? Yeah. No. What does this parable say about salvation? Do I earn the same salvation as those who just got to the party, who didn't work as hard as I did, or potentially didn't work at all, and yet still have it? Is this parable, and this is an open question, not an answer. Is this parable pointing to a form of universalism where actually God disrupts God's own rhythm of going out and finding people 
chooses a two-hour block rather than a three-hour block and goes, you know what? Even y'all who don't need this, you're coming in. Messes with you a little bit, right? Okay. These are questions that I don't have answers to. I'm not gonna give you the answer. Jesus doesn't give you the answer. I don't have the answer. You individually don't have the answer. I believe Revival Nation collectively can land on some answers and then you can figure out how to apply it locally, yeah? But the way a parable invites you into it is a way I think you're supposed to treat your faith, which is open up Pandora's box. Do you guys know that saying? Like Pandora's box, right. Open up the mystery, engage the uncomfortable, engage the unknown, and then invite the Holy Spirit to, to what, what was that? What was the words in the, the song? Undo, undo us. Yeah, undo our assumptions. I would say this, the same pay puts the same amount of food on the table and brings equality to all the workers in this story. Is there a problem with that? Should you eat less if you work less? Should humans not eat if they're not willing to work? Now, it's okay if you say yes to that, right? Because I think there's a, there's a frustration about, um, about the laziness or, or the unwillingness, the takingness of some human beings, right? But that human being, my friends, is treated uh, as a valuable creation of God, just as you are. And they have intrinsic value based on what the Bible tells us. So they are intrinsically deserving of food. And it's only our systems that dispossess those people from agency to rise up to have good health care, to have good food, to have, uh, to have a life of some leisure, at least the leisure that we experience. It is only our systems, because I'll ask you this, do you think in the kingdom of heaven, we don't eat if we don't work? I would say no. I don't want that kingdom. That doesn't feel like good news to me. I wanna eat, I want everybody else to eat, and I want the food to have no calories. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Turn to your neighbor, say, no calories. No calories. <laughs> okay. So, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so, so capitalism and meritocracy makes your value um, tied to your production, okay? And what this parable does is saying, yeah, the, you 6 a.m. workers may have done 10 times the amount of the 5 p.m., but your value has never been linked to what you can produce. Amen? And if I'm God and this is the kingdom of heaven, I'm paying you for what you're giving, okay? Whether it's an hour, whether it's six hours, whether it's 10 hours. And y'all know children, figure it out amongst each other. As God says, friend, I don't want God to say friend to me that way. <laughs> I don't want God to say, Chris, I gave you salvation. I gave you purpose. I gave you skills, you're using them. Stop comparing yourself to your sister and your brother. Yeah. Right, amen? Yeah. Okay, so I didn't come here to answer uh, these questions. I think it's important uh, that as I read this text uh, the last you know, couple weeks, uh, it stressed me out. Like, it, it almost felt better getting to a conclusion where I was like, I don't have the answer, because I, I don't. I, I think that it's important that we explore this stuff. I think that if parables are a third of Jesus' talk and they're semi-confused, not semi, they're radically confusing and they're disruptive, then like God is saying something to us, right? Christian, like stop worrying about like the pat, easy answer. It's not there. 
Because what if a human being shows up at your doorstep at 5 p.m. and they're hungry? You turn them down based on a principle? No, right? So, this, so a couple things that I think this parable raises, which we've already talked about. Uh, the parable points to the human condition. So as I've said, we'd all love to be the late worker who gets paid fairly. But we can also relate to the early worker who feels like they got the short end of the stick. I think that says something about us and not about God. I asked all those questions about fairness, but take a look at the story. God looks pretty unfair. God agreed with the early workers for their early wage, and they were happy until they weren't. Put another way, if we love receiving grace, right? Grace is great when we're forgiven, when we're given grace, when we're given mercy. We often struggle extending it. That is the human condition. God doesn't, as you can see from this parable, okay? God doesn't. So how many times have you been given a second chance and you're like, nope, you know what? I don't want a second chance. I blew the first time, I'm done. No, no one does that. We all take the second chance. We want a second. For me, I need like second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, right? I need nonstop chances to get it right and I'm still not, right? But if I can be really, really real with this, this room, I sometimes get frustrated when someone else gets even a second chance, especially if I'm the one who feels offended, yeah? yeah? Like I really want everyone else to forgive me for my failings, have a terrible time forgiving others for theirs, yeah. right? This parable looks at it and says, you're seeing your siblings the wrong way. Yeah. And I, Christian, need to show you what God's kingdom looks like where can you both celebrate that you're actually in the vineyard, that I just gave you food, that your value is not linked to the hours that you work? Can that be enough for you? And we get to the end of the parable and kind of the answer is no for some of the, older, for, for some of the, the earlier workers. Okay, so I'm super susceptible to this. As I talked about being on the plane, um, Often, uh, there's a saying that um, equality can feel like oppression to the powerful, right? So like when you are not the focus of the world anymore, it can seem like the world's like taking something from you. The reality is the world is opening up space for other people who have worked really hard to to receive their dignity, okay? So in last week in particular, it was women, right? Like women get paid 66% of what men get paid for doing the exact same job. Now, if a man doesn't get uh, a, a raise and a woman does, that is the kingdom of God right there, right? She's deserving of what she's gotten. Let not that man feel like he's being oppressed for not getting the raise, right? He had his moment. He had his agreed upon salary. He had his lot. Let this world include all those who don't yet have lots, right? Okay. So this parable reveals the human condition of comparison. These workers were satisfied until they figured out what their pay fit next to their others. Now, this story played out early on in the Bible. Cain kills Abel, because Cain's super ticked about Abel's value to God, right? So basically, the first sin post-eating the forbidden fruit was the sin of comparison. It may be our oldest sin in the human condition, okay? 
Now, when we unpacked ITG last week and when we did the breakout sessions between men and women, we figured out, at least in ours, that often it's not that we aren't enough, it's that we aren't enough compared to someone else, right? And I'm 5'10", would love to be six foot, right? So I'm short, right? Like, like these are the sorts of things you buy into, right? The sort of lies. Uh, I go to J. Crew and try to buy like a pair of jeans, never fitting. They're just, it's, it's like built for a smaller person than me, right? So, so <laughs> Cain and Abel, okay? It was, it was baked into us from an early, early time. So it's true that I perceive uh, an injustice, an unfairness to these payouts. And yet no one, nowhere, especially not Jesus, says that the kingdom of God is fair. Like Jesus doesn't use that word. Jesus is constantly going to the margins and saying, you're included, you're included, you're included. And then the disciples are following him around going, they shouldn't be included. Like we should be included, right? And Jesus is like, y'all don't get it. Like you don't get it, right? And now 2019 years later, we're building churches. We're going, we're, we're the right ones. Keep these other people out. I think Jesus is with them. I think Jesus is bringing them into our vineyard and saying, Christian, they're in your space. They are the exact same as you. Welcome, welcome them. Don't make God say friend to you the way that God says friend on that. Okay. So here's what we do see in this parable. Grace, like absurd, like overflowing, like dripping with absurd grace, scandalous grace is a good word. It's a scandal to pay the 5 p.m. workers what the 6 a.m. workers were paid. Unfair inclusion, unequal concern, unmistaken pay regardless of what you have or haven't done. God cares about giving you your provisions, so let not the world take them from people. God is a God who excitedly extends us the gift of eternal life. Excitedly, joyously extends us the, the gift of eternal life, then asks us to celebrate it daily rather than police who's in and out. God is a God who says you're accepted, child, because I've made you. Now go and love the world. Let us not be people who exclude God is a God who says that your value and your time spent in the field, Christian, is not intrinsic to whether you can eat or whether you're good enough. You're good enough, Christian. So do not hang on what you think you deserve and what you think you've earned. I think it demonstrates spiritual maturity for us to not compare. If I'm honest, I compare a lot, okay? I'm constantly stressed, particularly in a season of church planting. It's just it's stressful to think about all that's going on that's going better than me, right? Why does that person have that? Why does this person, right? It's, it's, but I imagine that if y'all are in school, if you're working, uh, I don't know, if you're playing a sport, like it's easy to not see your intrinsic value because you're comparing it to someone who's doing, who you perceive as doing more, yeah? But God is inviting you not to think that thought. Like that thought is bad news and God is saying to you, stop thinking it. Like I'm, I, you're good enough, child. You're good, like, wouldn't you, don't you want a world, don't you want a kingdom where I can just look you in the face and go, you are a beautiful child, I accept you as you are. When it comes to God's grace and God's desire for all of us to eat, to be included, to belong, etc., uh, again, I say this is not pie. There are limited pieces, there are not limited pieces. We don't get less because someone else gets more. 
Instead, the action points celebrate a God that's grace looks unfair to us, whose inclusion of unexpected folks throws us off, disturbs us, disrupts us, and makes us love more. I don't think that the kingdom of God works any other way. In fact, Jesus says that that is how it works. It breaks us open and invites the 5 p.m. worker in. God gives generously because God is generous. And that is God's right. Let us be grateful for what we have and let us will for others a generous pay. A generous lot, an extra portion of patience, an extra portion of grace, an extra portion of mercy. Why? Because if anything last week taught us, if we learned anything from last week, if we look closely enough inside in the mirror, we know that God has been patient and gracious and merciful with us. Don't ever forget the mercies that God has bestowed on you because that will be the death of mercy for others. Don't ever lose sight of how graceful God has been with you because you will not be graceful with others if you don't stay and remember that moment. Amen? Okay, so a few, a few things for us to consider. Some considerations. I'm a New Yorker, I'm straightforward, so I apologize for the, word, the words if they're, they're straightforward, but number one consideration, worry about yourself. <laughs> if there's a mirror right here, I'd look, at it, I'd look at myself too. Worry about yourself. Comparison is the death of solidarity and empathy. See yourself in another and hope that they can get fair pay to eat and succeed. Number two, never lose sight that God privileges and is partial towards the neglected the undereducated, the migrant worker, the sex worker, the poor, each one of them in the Bible, Jesus goes to and says, you're part of the kingdom. Here's another thing. Be graceful when God deals with those who you think have done less or are still given a reward. This is God's grace working itself out for humankind. Align your heart to be more like God's. Be broken open, as the last song said. In short, include others regardless of merit and deservedness. God's kingdom is not hierarchical. You are not the judge of who is in and out. You don't want that job anyway. Okay, let me repeat that. You don't want that job. I know we think we do, we don't. Instead, you have been given a heart desiring belonging. Use it, help others belong. Beware of systems, economic, educational, social, etc., that give people the bare minimum to live, but don't help them to flourish. And finally, hope, hope at least, dream, imagine for the salvation of all people, regardless of how they got there, regardless of if you think they deserved it. We want the world to be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. We want the kingdom of heaven to be filled with people who are constantly being changed on earth to resemble what more closely looks like Jesus Christ. God gives generously, and so we should hope and love generously.